if you can take a, a current assumption that a business stakeholder has and flip it on them or validate it, like either one of those, you're immediately going to get, you know, get their attention and help them understand, wow, this is just not about winning and losing. This is about how we, you know, how we understand our users. Hello, Experiment Nation. Welcome to another episode of Interviews with Experimenters. I am your host, Tracy Laranjo, and I want to help you become a better experimenter by asking experts the silly questions so you don't have to. Today, we're chatting with Tim Mehta, an experimentation program manager for Microsoft Digital Stores. Before Microsoft, Tim worked on the agency side of experimentation programs, so he has a pretty neat perspective on the pros and cons of testing in-house versus agency. In this episode, Tim explains the political differences between running low and high maturity experimentation programs, when it is and is not okay to make compromises, and how to make your program's results actually drive action instead of having them disappear into the abyss of forgotten insights. Oh, and I asked him for his take on those controversial UI polls on LinkedIn that have had experimenters ranting all over the last few weeks. So without further ado, here's Tim Mehta. Hi, Tim. Hello. How's it going, Tracy? I am great. How are you today? I'm tired. I've got a one-month-old and a toddler we're juggling right now, so just trying to uh, capture energy wherever possible. (laughs) Yep. I uh, cannot relate to that, but I do have (laughs) two wild cats running around, so I mean... Kind of the same, not even close to being the same. Oh, we also have two cats, so I've upped you there already. (laughs) Okay, so it's definitely a uh, wild adventure over there. (laughs) Yep, yep. (laughs) Well, it's great to have you on the show. Um, I know a bit about you already, but if you can tell our guests a bit about your awesome experience, uh, please. Sure. So uh, currently, I'm a experimentation program manager for Microsoft Store, so uh, that's Microsoft.com, and the, specifically, my focus is on Microsoft Surface. Um, what I do is pretty much the the whole program management from ideation all the way to implementation, uh, with all the experimentation, fun stuff in between, including design, development, copy, um, and even working with production to confirm you know that everything in the experiment is going to fit. Um, previously I had worked at multiple agencies. Uh, I started in more content strategy and then got into, uh, design strategy and, um, you know, right, right as I got into that, I started to get into experimentation and at a few different agencies, I had built the AB testing, uh, or you can call it the CRO programs. Um, one thing that was pretty unique to the programs I was running versus a lot of programs you'll see, but are, they're definitely catching up is, we also had a lot of user research involved uh, in our CRO program is actually part of the offering um, as it's tended to be one of the more reliable sources for test ideas. But um, yeah, so then uh, after being at the agencies, I uh, found this opportunity to work in-house and it's been it's been in- very interestingly different and a lot of good in a lot of good ways and a lot of just, you know, just into <laughs> just different ways. <laughs> yeah. That's no, that sounds awesome. Um, I do notice kind of going through your, your work history, you've had titles that focus on optimization and others that focus on experimentation. What 
is the difference of the two uh, to you? <laughs> so uh, conversion, you mean conversion optimization, like CRO oh, yes. versus, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the beginning, it like CRO just totally made sense to me. You know, I'm like, oh yeah, we're looking to improve our conversion rates, whatever the conver conversion rate may be. And then the more experience I got and the more I, visibility I got into, <clears throat> into experimentation as a practice, uh, it's really, you know, it's really much more different than just trying to move a primary KPI on a particular, on a particular page. Um, it's really a learning tool. And if you, you think, uh, to the core of the word experimentation, it's, you know, it's things you do to learn, <laughs> learn new insights about something. Um, mm -hmm. you're not trying to win necessarily, you know, in a lot of cases it's, it's, mostly just, is there a difference? Is there a change mm -hmm. from, you know, this variation versus whatever the control may be? But I mean, opinion wise, I think conversion optimization and a lot of other different buzzwords, which, which I'm sure we'll talk about <laughs> soon are a bit misleading, especially considering that most of what we do is business driven. So doing business, business experiments, uh, because conversion optimization is, is, in the eyes of a C-suite or if, or just any director level, anyone who doesn't have uh, in-depth knowledge of experimentation, that sounds like, you know, I don't know what the word is. Uh, what is it? Snake oil? Yeah. Snake oil, pretty much. <laughs> snake like, oil salesman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's very much something you can do with experimentation, but mm -hmm. it's not something you should promise. Um, so it being the title can be difficult to get buy-in at certain mm -hmm. places because you're really setting yourself up for them, for stakeholders to be disappointed. Like they're going to expect home runs, uh, every test, you know, 20x increase in conversion rates across the board. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas, you know, that's, that's not what is considered the success of experimentation. The success mm -hmm. of experimentation is just learning something. Did we, you know, did we confirm based on the data that this was better, worse, or the same? Uh, and then uh, trying to avoid the ones where we just don't collect enough data for. But really, that's that's kind of my, I, I don't hate, like, you know, I don't hate the word conversion optimization or conversion rate optimization as it's, it's you know, it's just kind of like one of those things where it's just the title of what it is. It doesn't mean you have to, you know you have to like marry, be married to it. You can still refer to it as however you want. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do think, you know, rhetorically it's, it's definitely, it doesn't, it doesn't give advantage to the person running the program. For sure. And you said something pretty interesting there. It's almost like the, just the title alone of conversion optimization kind of implies that you're promising these big gains, whereas experimentation is a little more on, I don't know, focus kind of on what you're learning. You're, you're throwing different out ideas out there to see what exactly. actually is going to make a real business impact instead of focusing on one tiny piece of the puzzle, one little metric. So yeah, that, that exactly. makes total sense. I am totally guilty of <laughs> saying experimentation when I need conversion optimization and the other way around, but mm -hmm. it's actually really helpful probably for a lot of listeners hearing this, just the delineation between the two. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, they're, they're, they're very different from one another. If, you know, once you've, once you've got a full understanding of what experimentation is for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, would you say that there's a big difference in how you approached 
I guess, experimentation at Portent versus Microsoft? Okay, yeah. So Portent, that's the the agency I was at right before Microsoft. And mm-hmm. um, that was building it from, not from scratch. It was, you know, one, it was like a quarter of a person's job. And then turning that into, you know, an offering that I think it was six or seven of our biggest, our biggest clients were, were paying for by the time I'd left. So wow. um, it was, it was very much very different in that, in the sense of maturity. Mm-hmm. It's also very different from an agency perspective versus being in house. So on the agency side, um, and I'm sure a lot of people listening work in, for CRO on the agency side, it's, you have a lot less depth that you can go uh, with each particular client. Essentially, mm-hmm. you're spread thin. I mean, you can, you know, you can build uh, as big of a team as you can, but if they're not, you know, boots on the ground in-house, working with production all the time, working with business side and, you know, having visibility over everything, you know, you're really handicapped a lot of, of what you're doing from an experimentation perspective. You recommend things that either have been done before, they can't be done, um, you know, or there's already a solution that's like being in the works. But I do see uh, what I what I did see on the Portland side or this, the agency side was that uh, agencies serve as a very good, like, what's the word? Insights tool. And I saw this on the Microsoft side too, because we were working with some agencies. So if, you know, from a, from a testing perspective, coming up with ideas, running user research projects, uh, doing heuristic analyses, competitive analyses, these are all things that people on the business side don't really have the time to do. Mm-hmm. And so these are really value, big value adds. Um, and then recommending particular concepts of solutions to test. And of course, if you know, if if you can, you you run the tests for them. That's just you know making things easier for them. But um, you know, depending on the actual business, uh, an agency developer working on a site, uh, even in a testing tool that they aren't already familiar with, does you know does require some extra learning curve. And so there's there's also the lack of visibility into production changes or something like that in the middle of a test running. Mm-hmm. So execution wise, I, you know, I, I saw a lot of more friction on the agency side, but I also saw a lot more opportunity for the, the you know, providing insights and knowledge and test idea recommendations and even managing, you know, like program managing the tests for them. Like if they can share their, their PM tool with you all, um, you know, just, just helping them understand how this program doing, uh, you know, what opportunities are there in the program. Those are things I think on the agency side that were very doable um, mm-hmm. because that's again these are the things that the business stakeholders don't really have time to do. On the on the Microsoft side, the in-house side, you have you have a lot more visibility and access to everything going on. Mm-hmm. Of course, being being Microsoft, there's three teams for every you know every page <laughs> or or product, but um, you know you you get direct access to the people who you could just reach out to on a whim and. Uh, ask questions about a particular test idea or pain point that you want to research. Um, you know, you have access to the tools, so there's no kind of waiting around. Uh, I think really the people though, just being so much closer to the people who are working on the same product as you and, and then time, being able to spend that time primarily focused on one product versus, you know, a different product in different verticals as on the agency side. So you, you become a lot more familiar with the user, more familiar with the product, how the users 
change their behavior based on specific changes you make. So for example, um, you know, with, with Microsoft, we ran tests where, uh, let's say we put, um, we put a, a CTA in the hero uh, that brings them to the tech specs or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we noticed that whenever we created like a higher button to get people to the specifications mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, we saw a reduction in some engagement rates mm-hmm. and you see more co- conceptual differences um, in patterns of tests when you're in-house versus being on the, uh, you know, the agency side, because you can look back at all the test history as well as, you know, have the people around who can give you that immediate feedback on those. Um, so I think that was, those are pretty much the biggest differences. So, you know, just having a lot more barriers on the agency side and on the experimentation side, I'm sorry, the, the in-house side, you know, you're able to focus much more on, you know, the, the actual mm-hmm. execution of things, but you can also leverage an agency. So like I said, we, you know, we are dedicated to in-house Microsoft store testing, but we still mm-hmm. leverage agencies for those insights. Like I talked about before, because, um, you know, we, you know, as a, as a program manager, you, you're really just dealing with processes and people more than anything. Like you, you know, on the agency side, you're much more coming up with the actual design, right. And telling them exactly the design to try to do. Whereas on experimentation or the in-house side, you're, you know, you're much more focused on the program itself and like the process. And, you know, as long as we're getting the right people to make the right decisions, you're really just kind of a a very objective machine (laughs) that just lets, let's make sure everything's going is going well. So I'd say those are some pretty big differences. That's really interesting. I've totally always wondered just what the experience is like at the agency side of creating and running these experimentation programs versus in-house. I've only ever done this in-house. So it almost sounds like it's a bit more challenging on the agency side in some ways. It can be. It really depends on the client. Like if you if you have a client who opens the doors to every door you need, so that includes like an in, you know whatever testing tool that they're in, um, their program management, project management tool. So you can, you know, coordinate if they give you a, a direct path to developers, like mm-hmm. there's, there's definitely opportunity for it to work. And also if there's, you know, a very simple experience that you're trying to, to run tests for. So paid search landing pages, like you're looking to optimize a single page. Uh, that's not something you necessarily need to be in-house. Like you can easily have agencies do everything that they need to do for those particular pages. I think the advantage on the the agency side is you get a more, you get like going back to the insights, you get a wider breadth of knowledge of uh, different tests in different clients, let's say, whether it's a different industry or not. So that's something we, we leverage from our agency pretty often is like, what do you see from other, what have you seen from other clients running this particular concept on a similar site? And off the top of their head, most of the time, they're able to provide that you know, that information, or at least throw a quick walking deck together for it. So I think there's, there's a lot of advantages on both sides. Um, You know, for me, I, I like being in house, because it helps me hyper focus and kind of, you know, not not feel like, oh, there's so much more I want to do with this client, but I don't have the time to do it or the resources. Whereas with in house, it's like, you have a little more hope (laughs) Mm -hmm. for for going deeper down. Cool. And you, you had mentioned something a few minutes ago, you were talking about maturity of, of programs. 
How does the political side, I guess, differ between low and high maturity experimentation programs? Because you've done both by the sounds of it. Yeah, I think I think it's really more time as a factor than leadership. I think leadership is mostly important in the beginning at low maturity. And like the sooner in that kind of cycle that leadership gets bought in, you know, obviously the better and the faster the program can grow. Mm-hmm. Um but I will say, let me think, like everywhere I've worked, I've had, you know, I've had the good luck of, you know, people like as high up as you can go in some cases who are bought in for testing and A-B testing and CRO. You know, when I was on the agency side, there were some clients who were like, you know, kind of saw it as snake oil, um, you know, kind of a gimmick or whatever. But uh, so I haven't really had that pain point, but I will say what's necessary for a program to really thrive is to have like uh, on the client side, especially that corporate sponsor, I think is the phrase, mm-hmm. but someone who's as high as you can go, who has complete visibility and, you know, is under their org chart um, and understands the true value of testing. And that way you don't hit the same, those same roadblocks I mentioned on the agency side. If you're an agency and you have that corporate sponsor, you know, then you don't really experience a lot of those friction points I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're, and it's easier to do when it's lower in maturity because from a resources perspective, it's lower risk for them. Uh, If you're already at it, like, you know, higher maturity and you have developers, you have designers, and then you're trying to get buy-in, it's much more difficult because they're like, oh, wait, look how much this is costing us already. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then they're not already bought in. So I think leadership is, is, super important uh, to try to try to make sure you have that sponsor as low in maturity as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously never too late to do it, but uh, that's that's kind of the relationship I see. This episode is brought to you by LiftMap. LiftMap is an experimentation project management software designed to help you manage every aspect of your testing program. The LiftMap team is currently offering Experiment Nation listeners 10% off. Visit liftmap.com forward slash podcast to learn more and book a free demo. Do you have any, I guess, tips for getting that corporate sponsor and keeping them happy or keeping them informed? Like, how do you keep that relationship moving in a positive direction when maybe um, they don't fully understand your optimization program? How do you keep that relationship rock solid? It's, you know... It's usually been above my head, to be honest, mm-hmm. as far as organizational structure goes of yeah. who's like connecting with the corporate sponsor. And, you know, I, I will say, though, it's it's really just helping them kind of and, and this is maybe not at a corporate level, but just getting buy in from business stakeholders in general is to not expect them to be bought in right away, mm-hmm. to not expect them to understand the value of it as quickly as you understand it. And to never really try to never get defensive, mm-hmm. um, always consider their feedback because you have to remember they're coming from a completely different context mm-hmm. and they're obviously smart people because they're, you know, they're at the level that they're at. So, you know, I think approaching it with a lot of respect and helping them just, you know, if they have a different opinion from what you see mm-hmm. to just show them, like, let them see it, you know, it's kind of validate their concerns, say, yep, I've heard that before and this is what we've done, but uh, we'd like to do it again to to test and kind of it's kind of first validating what they feel 
then it's you know presenting the facts and evidence of what you've seen before but and then it's to encourage testing it's not to there there should never be a win lose whenever you're working with business there should always be compromise i mean obviously there can be win wins if you pitch an idea and they like it or vice versa but a lot of, there's a lot of cases where you know you're going to pitch a, a particular concept or even design solution that is definitely going to get pushback mm-hmm. um, you can't expect to get exactly what you want from a you know from a CRO professional side you have to understand that as soon as you have a win loss like where you got what you want and the business didn't mm-hmm. every single idea and conversation after that is going to be much more biased than mm-hmm. if you would work to compromise first um, so even test by test but also building the program itself you know if you're like i really need a developer you know i can't use a quarter of a developer anymore um, if you don't get that if you can get half a developer from that conversation that's a you know that's a win win because mm-hmm. that's progress like that's that's kind of what my experience has been working with with leadership and business stakeholders mm-hmm. yeah you said the word compromise and i've noticed even myself using that word in many situations. Um, I started a new optimization program recently, and I've been saying that word as well, just compromising on certain aspects of the program that maybe I had envisioned that just maybe doesn't suit uh, the wider needs of the team. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there anything that one should not compromise on? Yeah, the principles of experimentation. That is a very good question, Tracy. (laughs) Um, Yes, the principles of it. So coming coming like and you're going to get this all the time too where you need to push back mm-hmm. uh they come to you with a gut feeling idea that they saw on you know apple's website which everyone always references no mm-hmm. matter what industry they're in <laughs> um you know and if you you know it's a crap idea or you know it's it's just there's not enough data behind it and mm-hmm. they want to prioritize it over things that have much more data you know, those are just situations in which that's where your corporate sponsor comes in. So if you do have to push back, there is no room for compromise. You need to establish that with the corporate sponsor in the beginning. Like these are our principles in which, you know, this is the scenarios we'll be coming to you with. Um, So if someone wants to run a test that is going to cost a lot of development time, design time, but we know from previous tests that, you know, that particular approach doesn't work too well um, and the business keeps pushing it, you know, ideally, if you have a structure where it's kind of, you know, the people requesting the tests aren't necessarily the people you're reporting to. Like you have that corporate sponsor being, you know, who you're reporting to up there. Um, and those that person's not like, you know, not on, let's say, the product category sides and giving you ideas. That person's just totally your representative. They might have good input. But, um, you know, I think that's really helpful, too, uh, from a corporate sponsor is, when you do have to push back. So for example, I, I had a situation where the, the team wanted to redesign an entire page. And from my experience, <laughs> redesigns. Yeah. well, yeah, I mean, they trust, they, they had a, you know, it was definitely warranted. It needed it. Like mm-hmm. the whole page needed to be redesigned, but, um, but, you know, from previous tests, as you immediately understood, <laughs> redesigns are very dangerous, uh, cost a lot of money. And most of the time, you know, they're going to end up losing your revenue. So we, you know, I, I didn't, I went to the corporate sponsor on our side, I told them about the situation. And sometimes they don't even need to be the one who reaches out, they just give you the tools you need. And so the person I was talking to, she just, she just gave me the information I needed. She said, go collect all the data you can on previous tests like this. 
um, you know, connect with other experimentation PMs, ask them their opinion, and then go back to them and, you know, and explain why, why it's a problem and what alternative solutions they could approach and get the same insights in the same time frame they needed to buy. So just the specific, like the, the direction they can provide on to, to have influence uh, on top of just being influential themselves is really useful in those situations where you know you can't compromise. Like we were not going to spend, you know, two months of development time on something that with, with such low certainty. Yeah. That's really interesting stuff. I, I'm totally going to be listening to this episode after taking notes for my own <laughs> <laughs> reference. So thank you so much for kind of taking us into um, your path and just what goes on through your mind and what what challenges you face when you kind of kick off these big programs. Um, now, I want to ask you your hot take on something that I can't stop thinking about it is all of those, and I'm not sure if you've seen them, you probably have, all those UI polls that are floating around on LinkedIn. So oh, yeah. yeah, so for any listeners who aren't really sure what I'm talking about, it's pretty much like a LinkedIn poll that will show up on your feed where someone's asking between two UI treatments, which, which one's better? Um, <laughs> I've seen a lot of complaints about this from the experimentation community, and I have my own thoughts on it, but... I definitely want to hear your take on these these polls. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of different angles you could take here. I mean, there the some of these polls I've seen have like thousands and thousands of reactions. Yeah. It's like, wow, you're actually getting a lot of input. Like, yeah. I, I I totally understand both sides. Like, I think it's not you know the answer is test it. Like, we can mm -hmm. nobody can tell you like what they think is better. Because what people think is not always what they do either. I can reference like a bunch of different studies. I can't remember off the top of my head that pretty much say they went through a qualitative and asked these people, you know, what color would you prefer the best, black mm -hmm. or red? And everyone said black. But then they went and they had the opportunity to get one for free and they all chose the other one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. So, you know, what people say on these aren't, aren't necessarily how they'll behave you know, in a particular uh, interface or UI. So that's kind of at the disadvantage. Um, the advantage really is engagement, I think. And that's really what they're going for as well is because you're, you're getting a lot of opinions, but you're also getting a lot of like people who are in that particular category's opinion. So it's almost in a way like a, a design review versus a, you know, which one should we implement? So, you know, and, and starts conversations outside of their organization or their particular project and opens their eyes to uh, different different approaches they could take because um, there's obviously a, an infinite amount of solutions for or potential solutions for, for every problem. So it helps them narrow it down. But on the flip side, I agree, like the answer is to test it. Like I, I've, I've realized the more and more I've done experimentation is that my conviction of my design opinion has decreased tremendously. Mm -hmm. Like when I first started, I was like, this is going to win. This is what we need to do. We can't do anything else. And just through, through trial and error and, and understanding, you know, uh, understanding the process and trusting the process. Um, I'm, I'm much less, I have much less conviction. Like I'll always provide 
heuristic feedback and I'll be confident just based on things I've seen before, but I've become more objective, I think, mm -hmm. um, when it comes to, to designs and stuff. So, and I think that's most experimentation people I know I've met come from an analytics background. So they already have that kind of objective data-driven test it <laughs> type of attitude. So that's, that's definitely the same answer I have, but, um, I do see it as kind of a, they, they are getting benefit out of it to some degree. I think that was probably the most humble take I've ever heard <laughs> about these, these <laughs> polls. Usually I, I see like a lot of very angry comments on like why they suck. And like, I, I totally get that, but you mentioned, you know, it's a good design review. I think that's a pretty interesting take. Like I don't consider that piece. I am just a very hard numbers kind of person. So of course my gut reaction is like, just test it. Just don't yeah. ask people, just test it. So no, that was a, that's a very like balanced take. I think that you had on that. Yeah. I mean that, the, like, like I said, there's always an infinite amount of options to test of a solution for a problem. Yeah. And you know, that's where you have to rely on just design opinion totally. and design experience. You, from a numbers perspective, you can't test infinity solutions. You know, you don't have that much that variance, like mm -hmm. where that's, that's where you have to rely on kind of like the more creative side versus the data-driven side. Yeah. Well, now that I've got your take on that, um, I want to ask you more questions about um, just kind of developing an optimization program or an experimentation program. Um, asking for a friend, is it possible <laughs> to start testing too early? Uh, I would say no. no. Um, obviously, you want to make sure like the tools work and uh, everything. But I mean, that's what testing is. It's like if you're not testing, you're, it's an opportunity cost. Even if you're doing it wrong, mm -hmm. you're still going to learn from it. Like you're going to you're going to learn what's broken. You're going to learn like in the analytics side or even on the test, the testing tool side, what's not working. You know, you might be taking some risks if something looks janky or broken in the test, but that's why you can just run AAs and like right out of the gate and just see what's not what's happening. Um, so, so as long as like you're not running running poor test ideas, you know, as long as they're valid test ideas and they're challenging, uh, you know, business assumptions or they're based on user data, um, no, there's that you can't start start testing too early. Mm -hmm. So is it almost permissible to say these first few tests, they might just be kind of a trial run in how our process is working, if our tools are working, and there's almost less pressure to get those tests right fresh out of the gate? Yeah, I say that's fair. I mean, if you, you know, it always depends on the backlog you have too, like the expectations mm -hmm. that the stakeholders also have of, of what you're going to do right away. Mm -hmm. I think... AAs, like run AAs, uh, you know, right away before you start doing the, the AB tests. Um, so that, you know, that, cause then you're just, that's, that's very bottom of the pyramid as far as the needs, <laughs> you need the tool to work and the analytics to work. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, I'm sure people have ideas right out the gate as well. Just start with the really low risk, uh, you know, low risk, low cost ones, mm -hmm. um, test as fast as you can, uh, as, again, as long as they're good ideas, because this is kind of goes back to the, the business stakeholder leadership side. The, the more tests you can bring them through, like the experience of coming up with the idea, testing it, analyzing it, and then what to do with it, with the results, 
um, the quicker you'll get that buy-in. You know, the quicker you, that those people will, you know, start to understand the true value of testing, and um, you know, not necessarily expe expectations they had before. So, copy tests. Uh, you know, just swapping an image if you know if there's some some users or removing stuff. Honestly, mm -hmm. like just reducing as much friction as possible, and then kind of scaling up from there. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of not best practices. I know we don't want to use that word. <laughs> common practices that you can easily test, like yeah. for a paid search landing page. Uh, you know, and you have a headline and CTA. You know, test them. Test mm -hmm. both of those things. Go gather some user data. What would you expect to see if you click this button? Making sure everything is aligned. Um, you know, and then coming up with some creative solutions that what could be better than what's what's there right now. But something else that I think you had this question on the list, but um, some really good early tests <clears throat> are just to challenge all the assumptions that photo when they start a post mm -hmm. or when they're typing a post, like they want to see their photo there. Do they actually want to see their photo there? Mm -hmm. And then maybe that's a bit of a layup, but even on the business side, like the content of what you're communicating, you know, uh, mm -hmm. maybe it's really marketing driven in, in the headline and a user can't actually understand what it is that the tool does until you scroll down a bit. You know, we're challenged, that's an assumption on the content side that, you know, they want to see marketing language right away. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, you know, and, and I'm sure being in a particular business, you'll have more, more uh, specific kind of assumptions rather than those are more blanketed. Um, but that's another good, a good start because that helps get buy-in. Like you're, mm -hmm. If you can take a, a current assumption that a business stakeholder has and flip it on them or validate it, like either one of those, mm -hmm. you're immediately going to get, you know, get their attention and help them understand, wow, this is just not about winning and losing. Mm -hmm. This is about how we, you know, how we understand our users. Yeah. I think that also kind of takes a lot of the pressure off on the program manager. I think, you know, the thing that kind of keeps me up at night whenever starting a new experimentation program is oh, I need to get those those wins right out of the gate. I need to build <laughs> that trust. Like what big bang am I going to be making happen in the first <laughs> month of the job? <laughs> so that actually kind of takes a lot of pressure off is just kind of using it as an opportunity to validate assumptions. I, I really like that. And I appreciate that at this point in time for myself personally. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for sure. It's, you know, the winning lose thing, I think we'll, we'll get to it in a minute, but um, I think there's, there's better focuses we can have than, mm -hmm. than the winning and losing. Totally. Now, I guess part of that with that question is what do those first few tests in an optimization program need to accomplish and how do you get those first few test ideas? Um, really it's, it's, I think the first thing you should do is start gathering user data or looking at existing user data. Mm -hmm. um, I think out of the gate, it's going to be hard to digest all of that and then have test ideas. So that's where you that's where you kind of rely on, you know, the business side. Mm -hmm. Like that's where you ask them what test ideas they've had in the past or what they what they'd like to learn about how a user works on the site, and then you know, being a, a CRO program manager, you should be able to provide the insight and direction on, you know, taking that, <clears throat> that idea and turning it into a valid test. I mean, another way you can ask it, that's probably better is um, like, what, 
what questions do you have about your users or what perceived pain points do you have for your users mm -hmm. um, or known pain points? Uh, so, you know, those are probably the better places to start when you're working with business versus what's your idea to test. It's more so what do you not know? Mm -hmm. What do you know that you don't know? Um, or what, you know, what are you, what are you assuming about, you know, the pain points that are, that are currently there for the user? Um, that's, that's useful. I think just getting feedback also, not just from business, but from engineering, from design, from analytics, I think just gathering as much insight as you can from all of those different people, especially ones who've been at that particular business for, you know, at least a year or two, because they've had enough time to to see what those potential pain points are. Mm -hmm. So it could be like a simple question, like what do you see as the biggest pain points for our users on the site? And just let them kind of riff. And you'll get different answers from different practices within the business. But that's, um, you know, that's probably a good start there because then you can like have the ideas already and you can day two, you know, start setting up the testing tool and getting things going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess in those early days when you're kind of doing your data mining, ideally you would have a mix of quantitative and qualitative research going on. Do yeah. you have a method for kind of making the quant and the qual more digestible and, and kind of communicating it in a way that actually spurs some kind of action with the team? Yeah. So, uh, I was also doing user research at Microsoft that just, I got, I got lucky. That was all, like, uh, also part of what I was responsible for, for Microsoft store and, uh, excuse me. And one, one tactic we really went like the template I was using because it wasn't all of my job was just asking people like a series of questions as they go through a, an on unmoderated user test. Um, so questions like, is there anything on this page that you expected to see that was not there? Is there anything here that's distracting or unnecessary? What do you find really valuable that's on this page? Um, you know, and then what, what's your general feedback on the pain points or friction points? Like just having kind of a, a templated series of questions we'd ask users as we walk them through a particular page or experience. And then once we got those insights, we'd look for patterns. So as long as two or more people called out the same thing, we'd, you know, we tagged it or defined it as an insight. And so we'd have a list of insights and a list of test recommendations uh, from those insights after analyzing the user test. And from a communication perspective, um, I haven't, I, I think there's a better way to do it, but how I was doing it was making sure the stakeholders and everyone involved design, whoever else, um, development, uh, you know, make sure that they're in the conversation. It, it takes multiple conversations really, uh, but from kickoff, uh, understanding the research questions. So what do you want to learn about the user? Um, and then, you know, having a, having them review the test before it goes out. So giving them a lot of touch points mm -hmm. throughout the actual research project and not just here are the results mm -hmm. because I've, and that's, that's kind of a, a problem that I used to have was, you know, people would see the results and then they'd be like, oh, okay. And they wouldn't do anything with it. But if you keep them involved throughout the whole way, they have a little more, you know, they feel a little more at stake. They have more awareness over it. It's more top of mind for them. And it, it has more valuable a value, really. Mm -hmm. um, so we keep them in the loop through these touch points. And then once it's done, uh, we give them, you know, we give them the recommendations first. Uh, 
I've, I've tried it both ways where like in the report, I would, you know, um, have the recommendations as the first slide, but there was no context. So it was kind of weird. So um, I would just set up meetings. And unfortunately, this is not easy for everybody, but uh, the first meeting would be to go over the test results. And the second meeting would be, uh, would be to go over the recommendations. Um, and the third meeting would be to prioritize those recommendations or, or you know, talk about feasibility, uh, like come back with feasibility reports or something like that. So, um, and then we'd have like a roadmap of ideas based off of those touch points. So it was, it was never, you know, here are the results and then crickets because yeah. you, you kind of forced them to participate. Unfortunately, that drags out the time frame of which you can take action from these user tests. But at, at places as big as Microsoft, it's expected anyway to go from idea to uh, or from research project to test idea to running running the test, just because there's so many there's so many stakeholders in the middle that need you know you need to make sure have have input. Um, but you know that's kind of the connection we've been making, and then we we track like everything as far as metadata on a test. Mm-hmm. One of those things being test ideas that come from user research, um, and then vice versa. Every user research project has a ticket, and then we tag every single test idea that came from it. Um, so, you know, we're always kind of keeping an eye on that. So when we go back and look at program reporting, we can also to the stakeholders communicate tests from user research, you know, showed conclusive results, uh, positive con- conclusive results. Cause that's what business really cares about. Um, 60% of the time, whereas non-user research tests is only 20% of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that, those are more things to get further buy-in into user research and, and leveraging that to be one of the primary, you know, kind of feeders of test ideas. So there should really be no surprises along the way because <laughs> you've looped everyone in. They know what's going on at every step of the way. Yeah, and it's tough because I know it sounds overwhelming because a lot of people just don't have time for it. But these are like 30-minute meetings. These are, these are like, uh, a lot of it is really just pre-work, like pre-meeting and post-meeting work on the, the PM side, the experimentation mm-hmm. PM. You know, it's it's creating uh, the meeting invite to have all the test ideas, a link to the deck, mm-hmm. what you're going to talk about, then sending an email out afterwards with next steps for everybody, following up a week after that if no one, you know, has followed up with you on the next steps. Like, it's more time on the, the PM or the, you know, the CRO mm-hmm. versus the business side. It just sounds more overwhelming. But um, honestly, on the agency side, we would, we would give reports that were like 80 pages long on a PowerPoint and we wouldn't, in some cases we wouldn't have a chance to like walk through it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like with the right people, we'd, we'd walk through it with the, an extension of the right people and hoping that these people can communicate it upwards. <laughs> like, so that's, that's another, you know, another reason why I try to keep people like, uh, even if the touch points are very small, making sure they, they have some type of consistent visibility over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, before I take you into our lightning round, I have one last question. You had said the word insight and that just triggered me so hard because in my day to day, I see, I see data and I say to myself, oh, this is an insight. This is really interesting. But then another part of my brain kind of asks, well, how is this an insight? What what differentiates <laughs> an insight from just a pure like data point? Um, 
So the insights I was referring to, I think, in the research project was just these are what we learned. Mm -hmm. Like these are the bullet points of what we learned. And that's pretty much what what I would define, I guess, insight being is just a learning. Mm -hmm. Um, So an A-B test, like an insight would be pretty much the hypothesis or the I don't remember the exact phrasing, but rejecting the null. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, when we uh, you know, when we make the background white, uh, orders are not impacted. Like Mm -hmm. that's the insight for an A-B test. Now you can have kind of, uh, ancillary and I'm going to, I'm not going to try to use that word again, (laughs) indirect insights, like things that are like you on, on data points you didn't expect to see. So for example, um, your primary KPI was, uh, adding to cart, but Mm -hmm. when you ran the test, you know, you saw that, um, you know, checkout went down. So add a cart went up and checkout went down. Uh, so, you know, that's like, that's a, that's a second insight. Like, you know, when we did this orders didn't change, orders went down, it didn't change, but checkout went down and add a cart went up. Like, um, you know, all the, all the other metrics that would be perceived as important or statistically significant and not a false positive those are also an insight of a test. It doesn't always need to be just the primary KPI. Um, But again, you know, you have a lot of false positives out there with those further down the funnel or up the funnel metrics. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's important to to make sure you're not calling those out as insights if there's enough indirect kind of evidence that it's it's just a false positive. Totally. But yeah, insights pretty much, you know, the bullet point learning from either research or test. Awesome. Well, thank you. Now I'm going to ask you a series of just very quick questions and uh, don't stress the response, whatever comes to mind first. Uh, (laughs) So first off, how would you describe Tim Meta in five words or less? This isn't fair because I already answered this question. (laughs) I'll use the same answer. Okay. An, An avocado a day. An avocado a day. I like it. They're buttery. They're tasty. I can stand behind that. Um, in your mind, what CRO buzzword just needs to go? (laughs) Win and loss. Win and loss. That's a good one. And lastly, who should we interview next? Oh my gosh. I was, I was going to try I don't know. I think (laughs) you just interviewed Chanel, right? Yes. Great. She probably would have, she probably would have been who I recommended. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's (laughs) going to make it easy for me. uh, We're scoping good folks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Great. Yeah. No, if uh, anybody else comes to mind, we'd love to have them on the show. But on that note, this was an amazing conversation. I learned a lot personally, and I really hope that our listeners did as well. So thank you so much, Tim, for sharing your experiences and your philosophy and all that fun stuff. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. It was great chatting, Tracy. Awesome. Thank you.